Acts chapter 5, we're going to be reading 12 through 16. And I'm going to, for the most part, this is a pretty technical passage that I'm going to be going through. As I've already said, I've read through uh, 1 Kings, which is abnormal, being that we're in the New Testament. So um, I'm going to, for the most part, stick to my, stick to my notes this morning. And um, I want to really get this point across. And the point is this. Christ's kingdom is, going to, is established. It, it, was, it was established. And it's continuing to be established even to this day. And it's done by His power and by His strength. By His power and by His strength. And we know that after Christ established that kingdom, the, the apostles built upon that. The rock, the rock that Christ is is what the church was built upon, not Peter, the rock. And then we know after that, we know the apostles come and they add to that and build upon that sure, solid foundation. And then from there on. And so as we have the church here in its infant state, still, I say infancy, but it's, it's multiplying leaps and bounds and Acts chapter 5, and we're going we're gonna to see that. Go down to verse 12 with me, and we're going to read 12 through 16, and then we're going to get started. Acts chapter 5, 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's porch. Remember, I mentioned Solomon's porch earlier. They were all together in Solomon's porch. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed by the hands of the apostles. They were all healed. The scripture says by the hands of the apostles. Beginning in verse 12, it says, Now many signs... And wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. So we're going to jump right into this text. And I have been thinking about this text for about three weeks. Uh, really, really studying it, really looking at it. Because it's, it's not just about the signs and wonders that we're seeing. There's much more to this text than what meets the eye. And so we're going to jump right in. It says, first thing that I want you to see is that signs and wonders were done by the apostles. By the strength of Christ, which was an answer to prayer that had right heart motives and intentions. They weren't just doing miracles for the sake of doing miracles. There's a reason why they were doing miracles. 
And the reason why is because they prayed that they would be able to do them. That through the power of Christ that they would be able to do them. Look at Acts chapter 4, 29 and 30. 29 and 30 says this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This was an answer to prayer. These signs and wonders, when we see this taking place here, this was an answer to prayer that it would be be done by the strength of Christ and that because of this, people would be saved. They had a right heart motive behind asking for these things to be done. We know that there are churches today that don't have the right heart motives behind it. They might ask for healings and they might ask for miracles, but a lot of times they're done because they want prestige or they want to look like they are something or someone or somebody special. But here in our text, we see that this was to aid in the gospel message going forth. It was not about the sign or the wonder or the miracle. It was about the giver of those things. But yet, so many people have made it about miracles. So many people have been made it about signs and they've made it about wonders. And they have forgot about the giver of the one that can give life and the one that can take life away. Their heart motive for these miracles to be done according to Acts 4, 29 and 30 was so that they could preach the gospel to the lost. So that the lost could be saved. So that Christ Jesus could be magnified. Also with these signs and wonders we also see a special authority given to the 12 apostles. People don't like to talk about the special authority given to the 12 apostles. But it's true. There was more than just 12, but here in our text, we have the 12 that it's speaking of. Since the times of the apostles, not just the 12, but also a few others that were added to this number, like Paul. And remember, Judas Iscariot was was scratched from the list and Matthias was added. We have different ones that were added. Miracles like these, listen and pay careful attention. Miracles like these that were being done in this text, miracles like these have not been done since then. They were not just a couple of isolated miracles that were done. But the text says that they were regularly done, regularly done by the apostles. It was common to see these miracles. You don't see it today, and we've not seen it for 2,000 years since the time of the apostles. I'm not saying that miracles are not possible. We know that miracles are. God can do whatever He wants. But at this time, he has not chose to use miracles in this way. Has he? When was the last time you've seen an arm grow out? 
This is the type of miracles we're talking about. People that were on the ground, that, had, that were lame in their feet, that could not walk at all, stand up and come to life. It was comparative to the times of Christ when he walked and healed among the people, right? As a matter of fact, Jesus says, greater works than these you will do. Not just about the miracles, the greater works. Yeah, they were greater works, absolutely. I mean, they were being done like crazy, but also about salvation. I mean, 5,000 people were saved in one day. 3,000 were saved in another day. And in the beginning, 120 were saved. And now we see it doubling exponentially. What the apostles were doing was magnificent. It was beautiful. Since the days of the apostles, no time in history, no time in history have miracles been done like what was done then. As a matter of fact, the scripture teaches us that we won't see these miracles done again until before Christ's return. Done by the false prophets. So clearly there is a stopping point and clearly there is a starting back up point. Do you understand what I'm telling you? That the, that the miracle stopped around 70 AD and if that be the case, then wait a second. If they stopped, then some people say that they're still going. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 24, that in the end, before he returns... That the false Christ and the false prophets will be doing signs and wonders and miracles. And that if it were even so, that they would be able to deceive the very elect if it were possible. Matthew 24 and 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the very elect. So if signs and wonders are going to kick back up at the end, that means first off that they had to stop at some point, right? And we know that they did around 70 AD, around the destruction of the temple. And we can conclude this by common sense. Is that right or wrong? I mean, this is, this is common sense. That these signs and wonders will pick back up as a precursor to Christ's return. And they will not be done by the righteous, but rather by the wicked. Everybody follow. Second, these signs and wonders served as a seal of approval and authority that the apostles were to lead the early church. Christ literally gave them this authority. Luke 6 and 13, after the disciples were following him, and he had multitudes of disciples that were following him, multitudes. Acts, or Luke 6, 13 says, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve apostles, whom he named apostles. 
So this extraordinary authority and power given to the apostles, they built upon Christ's foundation, the New Testament church. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Not Peter. Christ says, upon this rock, upon himself, I will build my church. The word is Petras. Upon this rock, upon this stone, upon this chief cornerstone, I will build my church. Peter was Petros, which means a little rock. Christ was Petros, which means mountain, stone, the foundation. There are no new apostles today. If you hear this preached, we have to conclude that they are in extreme gross error. And the reason why I say that is because the New Testament church and the apostles in the New Testament church were given special power, were given special authority to accomplish God's work in establishing the early church. And we see this throughout the scriptures in the New Testament. Without a doubt. Without question. Those that teach that there are new apostles or that they are apostles, beware. Beware. Because here we see where Christ called apostles. Specifically. For a common goal. And that was to preach his word. That was to be against judgment on the 12 tribes of Israel. That his word and his truth would be established among the Jewish people. And then to the utter ends of the earth. Verse 12. Third, let's notice where the apostles... And the church were at. Where were the apostles and where were the church? Listen to what it says. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all gathered together in Solomon's porch or Solomon's portico. I can't say that word portico. It means porch. It means vestibule is what it means. Together in Solomon's porch. Let's notice where they were at. First off, it says they were all together. Do we see that mentioned quite often in the book of Acts? Yeah, I think we do. Which tells us clearly that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That they were all together. And that they were in Solomon's porch. The King James says this, that they were all with one accord. That they were all together and all in the same mind. Thinking the same. They had the same heart. They functioned as a unit, as one, though many. It's called the church. And they were in this in Solomon's porch. They were, in, they were together in one accord in Solomon's porch porch. The apostles along with the true believers 
of God were gathered in this place. Now, the next bit of this sermon is going to be very technical, and I want you to pay careful attention to it for the next about 15 minutes. You need to please pay careful attention to what I'm about to tell you. The apostles, along with the true believers, they were all together, and they were in Solomon's porch. And this, this place was at the temple in Jerusalem. And it was a place where people would gather, just like right here. It was elevated. This was a place where people would gather to listen to speakers, to those that would get up and debate or to those that would preach or to teach, whatever it may be. It was a covered pavilion, which was elevated and it faced the outer courts where all could come and could listen. We first hear about this particular place in the New Testament in the book of John in chapter 10, 22 through 30. Jesus had just got through telling the people that he was the door, that he was the good shepherd, and that he and the Father were one. And he told them this as he walked in Solomon's porch. The Jews gathered around Christ with stones that were not even supposed to be in the place. They gathered around Christ with stones with predetermined hearts to want to stone him because he said that he and the Father were one. This happened in Solomon's porch. The next time we hear of Solomon's porch is in Acts in chapter 3 and verse 11. When Peter and John, after healing the man that was set at the beautiful gate, who leaped up to his feet and began proclaiming the truth of God and, and the thankfulness that he had for the healing work. Peter and John stood up in Solomon's porch and they preached. That's in Acts 3.11. And they preached and over 5,000 people were saved in just a few verses over right in the beginning of chapter 4 from this message. And now in chapter 5 we have the 12 apostles in one accord in Solomon's porch with the true believers. This place is significant. It's significant in the Old Testament. Even though Solomon's porch had been destroyed. Y'all remember when that happened? We, we, uh, we spoke about that. We've preached about that before. Even though Solomon's temple had been destroyed and there was really nothing left, this place kept its name even when it was rebuilt by Zerubbabel. Remember when Haggai prophesied and they, they went and they rebuilt it? This place kept its name, Solomon's Porch. Even after Herod added to this, this one place kept its name. And the people were still meeting in that quote-unquote place that they called Solomon's porch. 
in Solomon's porch, according to 1 Kings chapter 7, 13 through 22, which I read to you earlier, there were two gigantic columns, pillars, that were constructed of bronze. Gigantic. When I say gigantic, I mean gigantic. I mean they were huge. They were so big and so beautiful, and you can go back and get the measurements of them, and the cubits and all of that back in 1 Kings in chapter 7. But they were so big and so beautiful that Solomon gave them names. He gave them names. The name of the first was called Jachin, which means he will establish. He will establish. Name and columns. This is how extraordinary these columns were. The first one's name's Jachin, which means he will establish. And the second column was Boaz, which means in him is strength. Even though these columns had long been gone, been destroyed, long been gone and they had been removed from that place, the message that they stood for, for so many years was fulfilled in Christ and also in the prophets or in the apostles and in the early church. When we put these names together, we get a picture. And this is the picture that the temple of the Lord, the spiritual kingdom of the Lord would be established by the power and strength of the Lord. In other words, the Lord would do the Lord's work. And it would be strong. It would be powerful. Columns represent strength, upholding. And we know that our Lord Jesus does just that. Christ is the fulfillment of the names of these two columns. I mean, in, in the Old Testament, he was absolutely a type of Christ, or Boaz was a type of Christ. We know that the establishing of the spiritual kingdom that's taking place in Acts chapter 5, the spiritual kingdom of the Lord, the church, we know the establishment of that. It was established by Jesus Christ, and it was established in his strength and in his power. You have Jacob and you have Boaz. Christ as a true pillar upholds and he carries the church. Yes or no? He upholds and he carries the church. He established the church, he upholds the church, and he carries the church. If it weren't for my Savior, the church would not exist. You remember, he's the one that picked us up off the ground and carries us to this day. If you recall, the government was to rest upon his shoulder. His name is Wonderful Counselor, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Christ as the true pillar upholds and He carries the church just as these two columns represent. Isaiah 9, 7, and 8, and I'm not even going to read 6 because sometimes I get tired of reading it because I've read it so much. Where it talks about 
and the child will be born and will be called Wonderful Counselor. Listen to what verse 7 and 8 tells us concerning Christ and the church. It says, of the increase of his government, the increase of his government, what does that mean? The building of his church, of the increase of his government, and of the peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Listen to what it says. To establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In case you didn't hear that, let me read that one more time. Because it clearly shows us the establishing and the upholding of it by Christ and Christ alone. Let me read it one more time. Of the increase of his government and of the, or of the church and of, and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. Who? Christ would establish it. Christ would uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As I said before, the Lord will do the Lord's work. He established the church. He called apostles to lead in that early church. And they led, and they led valiantly. They led and they preached the gospel heroically. They led and they preached and they healed. And I want you to pay careful attention. As Christ represented those two pillars that meant it would be established by, established by his strength, we now see 12 apostles in Solomon's porch. As Christ did along with the New Testament church. They stood, they stood resolute as pillars of justice, as pillars of righteousness to carry on in the power and in the strength of Christ Jesus. The apostles did. So what happened with Christ as he established the church, now it's being built upon by the apostles. Do we see this? Strength was how this was established. Christ in his works, in his power, the church was established. The spiritual temple, the New Testament church, was established by Christ. I don't know if I can say that any clearer. They stood, these apostles and these New Testament believers stood as columns just like Christ did. In Solomon's porch. Even though it had long been done away with, it still bore the name, but they stood like Christ against the 12 tribes of Israel who had turned the religious system into a way to make money and a form of legalism. 
Good works, outward signs of devotion, but inside they were raging wolves. Whitewashed tombs, empty and dead. They stood in direct opposition of what the Pharisee, the Sadducee, and the scribes taught. The apostles along with the church stood united as one. And this is what we see in verse 12. It says, And they were all together, or in one accord, in Solomon's porch. The same place where Peter and John preached. The same place where Jesus preached. Verse 13, let's move on away from the porch. Let's go on before I get bogged down in it. It says, none of the rest dared join them. None of the rest dared join them. I'll tell you the reason why none of the rest dared join them. Because of what had just happened inside of the church. The Lord purified the church from sin. Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead. That would give me great concern for going up and joining with people if I was a sinner. Right or wrong? The Lord strikes down Ananias and Sapphira. And here we see none of the rest dared join them. Those that were false dared not join them. Why? Because they knew what had happened to Ananias and Sapphira. And so here we have a separating, a purifying, a purging. And it's so sad because it's right at the beginning of the New Testament church. But Christ came in and enacted discipline on the church. And he eradicated that sin from them. The Lord dealt with that sin. Verse 13, it says, But the people held them in high esteem. The people held the apostles and the church in high esteem. And more than ever, more than ever what? More than ever before. More than ever, verse 14, believers were added to the, Lord, to, the, to the Lord. Multitude of both men and women. First place where the term women is used here in, in accordance with being together with all of them. We see it in the upper room, but here it is special mention made, both men and women. So we went from 120 in the upper room to 3,120 to 8,120. And now, more than ever before, believers were added to the Lord. And I'm almost done. Y'all pay attention. I want us to see who was added. Who was added? The text tells us. Men and women, believers, whosoever believed. See, the message hadn't changed from the Gospels. The message hadn't changed at all. Those that were added to the church were those that were believed in the, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The message hadn't changed at all. They believed by faith. Whosoever believed in the Lord, these were the ones that made up the church. The church in a short period of time is multiplying by the thousands. By the thousands. The apostles prayed. The Lord heard their prayer. He gives them the ability to perform these miracles. People were being saved left and right. This was a beautiful, beautiful time. Listen to what it says. And more than ever, believers, those that were believing in the Lord, were added to the Lord, added to the church, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people, listen to this. They're still in Jerusalem. They have not even left Jerusalem yet. Remember, the first, remember what their great commission was? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Remember that? They haven't even left Jerusalem yet. Jerusalem yet. They're still there. And the people are bringing other people that are sick. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. All healed. Who was doing the work? The apostles. Through the strength of Christ. In the church that he established. And now even today. Now even today we see 2,000 years later. The power of Christ. His strength upholding his church. Which he established. It is still going on. Just as Isaiah said it would be forever, it is still going on. Christ will not leave his church, for it is his bride. He will not leave his church. He will uphold his church with his power and with his strength. He will uphold it because he has established it. And what he has established, no man will ever destroy. So you say, what's the point? Let me read it to you once again in case you missed it with my opening sentence. Christ's kingdom is established by his power. Period. (laughs) Y'all get that? Christ's kingdom is established by his power. We have Christ first. Then we see the apostles building upon what Christ established, and we are still doing that today. Right or wrong? We're still building 
upon what was laid down first? We should be. We should be doing that. Christ's kingdom is established by His power. Then the apostles. And then us. Let's pray.